Hey, hey, everybody. Just want to take a quick minute before we start today's show to tell you about another great podcast, Good Morning Liberty. It's hosted by our friends, Nate and Charlie. They've taken on the onus of trying to change people's minds of how people view libertarians. And they're doing this by leading with a message of compassion first. They're looking at the way in which policies impact people and using the principles of liberty to provide compassionate solutions. I know it's amazing, right? So much more effective than just typing loudly and screaming to yourself and commenting on Facebook statuses. But they're actually giving you tangible ways to talk to other human beings about how liberty is compassion. Amazing, right? So Nate and Charlie, they have a, uh, a background in healthcare. They actually own a healthcare IT company. So at times like this and times of crisis uh, that we have in this country right now, a great podcast to tap into to get their perspective. You can check it out five days per week. So if you need that uh, daily hit of liberty, please check out Nate and Charlie over at Good Morning Liberty. We are born free and we will die free. Time in between, though. That's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Welcome back to another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. I don't have a lot to say before we get into today's episode. I have a great interview lined up. But before I introduce my guests, I just, just want to take a minute to remind you guys, you know, maybe you found this podcast recently. We have a lot of new listeners. I just want to you know, ask you, please, if you have time um, after listening to this episode, go to your uh, your podcasting app and pound that subscribe button. We appreciate it. It helps with the algorithms that help us rise up the podcasting charts. So you'll be doing us a great favor. And also to take it one step farther than that, if you'd like to, please consider joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. We have a lot of great bonus content that we roll out. Some of the best interviews that we do, you get to hear them first. Whenever we have those Dave Smith debates on, the famous Dave Smith debates, you guys always get the access to the live stream and you can hear it first as well. Also, we have bonus content. We have a a show called Conspiracy Corner that only airs in the Lions, Lions of Liberty Pride. Degenerate Gamblers only airs in the Lions of Liberty Pride. Check those out there. You can join by going to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty and uh, join in on the fun. Plus, there's a private Facebook group. You can join at whatever level to your heart's desire. As you pay more money, you get more stuff, as it goes with everything in life. But we would love to have you in the Pride. We have a lot of great plans for 2021. So please come join us and let's get rolling with today's show. All right, today on Finding Freedom, we welcome Lynn Espeo back to the show. Uh, she's been on the show twice before, back on episode 110. And that was actually before her incarceration um, for charges that she maintains her, her innocence. She ended up serving 27 months. And uh, after that time, she was released on home confinement. And she came back on the show after that to uh, talk about her time in uh, the Bryan uh, Federal Prison Camp in Bryan, Texas, uh, talking about the abuse that she witnessed and the corruption that she witnessed. And she had a, a 
personal blog where she talked about all these things, and she definitely did not make any friends with the uh, with the BOP um, in uh, in that prison camp. But after she got out, she came back on the show and. Uh, she also had her own radio show where she was continuing to talk about what she saw in the prison system, and they tried to pull her back in. Back in, and we had uh, Holly Coolman on the show a few weeks ago talking about that when it happened, uh, giving an update. And now Lynn is here; she's free; uh, she's off of home confinement. So, uh, Lynn, welcome, welcome back to Finding Freedom. Thanks, John. I appreciate you having me back on to discuss what happened to me. Yeah, this is our this is our second time recording this intro here because I forgot to record the first one. But uh, it's it's great to you know, Lynn. I was telling Lynn before the show, it's just great to see you, you know, in person because after seeing what happened, I was really worried that you know you might spend. And Holly thought you might have to do the rest of your sentence, um, which would have been into the summer, I believe. So it's great I that you're so out. Too. I, I fully expected since they wrote me an incident report and it was a, a 300 series, which is a, a low level incident report that would have definitely not made someone go stay at a county jail. But um, the incident report itself was low level, but they could take 30 days of good time from from you for that incident report. And I, I highly expected that the BOP would do that to punish me. So I expected my out date was going to change from May the 4th till June 3rd. And I, I mean, honestly, I was at the county jail preparing myself for that. I was ready. I was like, okay, well, here we go again. Um, obviously, God's got a few more things I need to see on this journey. And um, and let me tell you, the county jail was an experience that I'm going to be blogging about and talking about. So um, it's definitely something different. I will say that. But um well, let's before we talk about that. Let's let's go back and talk about how did you end up on on their radar, where they even wanted to uh, wanted to do this. And I guess it was the the prison warden that was that was initiating this process. No, no. Um, what happened was um, on December the twenty second, um, because I do blog about corruption in the BOP. And of course, my radio show talked about things at Bryan and other places, not just Bryan. You know, I've met inmates along the way when I was in Oklahoma from other uh, prisons Mm -hmm. and I keep up with with them and they they send me things and I blog about it. I post it on Twitter. I talk about it on my radio show. And so on December the 22nd, I received some photos and a, a memo the photos were from a mobile billboard that was circling at the moment Brian prison camp, trying to expose the um, the fact that women there had not been allowed to call home for Thanksgiving. They weren't going to be call, calling home for Christmas mm-hmm. for going on eight weeks. Um, they had been locked up and not being able to use the phone, video chat, no means to communicate with their family. And this mobile billboard was hired by a nonprofit out of New Mexico to expose what was going on at Bryan Prison Camp. So I immediately blogged about it and posted the memo, which had many uh, grammatical errors, I'm sure it was very embarrassing to this warden that you know, she put out a memo that, but it also exposed the fact that there was zero COVID cases uh, showing on the BLP website for Brian. However, these women were being punished 
because they were being told by the captain and warden that this particular unit, B2, that they were the most COVID cases at Bryan. And so it was their fault that their unit had all these COVID cases. Now, I don't know if you if you or your listeners are aware, but the BOP had been shut down for visits since March the 13th of 2020. And we're now into December of 20, okay? So I'm not sure how the prison or the BOP staff is blaming inmates for catching COVID because number one, no one's come to see them to bring it in the, in the prison. So obviously, how do you think it got in there? Well, BOP staff. Yeah, it would, so, it would only be the BOP. The, the prisoners aren't leaving. They're, they're not walking out. So Yes. And so they're, they're retaliating or, you know, punishing these women uh, and, you know, little kids want to talk to their mama at Christmas and Thanksgiving. They're not getting mm-hmm. to see them. They're not getting to see them on video chat. They haven't had a visit with their mom. You know, you're talking going on 10 months. Not You know, it's, it's crazy. It's very sad. And I know when I was there, uh, that was one of the saddest things for my husband and I at visitation was watching little kids clinging to their mamas and not understanding why their mom couldn't come home with them. So being mindful of that and just mindful of the abuse that Brian staff subjects inmates to in the first place, I immediately blogged about the situation and I shared it to many social media pages. I also uh, posted it on my Inside the Walls and Beyond radio show Twitter account. The following day, Piper Kerman of Orange is the New Black retweeted my blog post. And of course, you can imagine after that, it just went viral. Um, I'm not sure the exact date, but sometime shortly after that, um, an SIS um, person at Bryan, that is the Special Investigative Services, Mm -hmm. um, her name is A. Mitchell. She sent an email to my future probation officer. Now, mind you, I was not on probation. I was still under the BOP on an ankle monitor, on home confinement. So that leads me to believe she did that to try to get me off to a bad start with my future probation officer because she had access to know exactly where I was at. However, she did send the email to my probation officer. The email alleged that I was the one that rented the mobile billboard, that um, she included a link to my blog post about it, And she, um, it's my understanding that there was some wording in this email about the fact that it turned around on government property. And and I've since found out that apparently the local police was called on this mobile billboard. So mind you, the BOP couldn't even go out and get with the driver their own self. They called Brian, local police, to come Mm -hmm. over, get on to the driver because apparently the driver barely pulled in to a driveway and turned around. You know, mind you, that's out at the street level. The prison's yeah, appara- Apparently place. that's illegal to turn around on federal ground, really? You know, to me, that was almost like insinuating that I had committed another federal crime. And I think that's kind of what they were trying to say. Huh. Like, I instructed this driver to get on federal property. Now, did you, so, so did you have any involvement, not that it would, not that it should matter, uh, with the actual billboard? No, I did not. And in fact, um, 
if you go read my blog right now where I posted a link to Walt Pablo of Forbes magazine just recently wrote an article about what happened to me. It was, that's a great yeah. article. I'll, I'll link to that on the show notes page as well. Well, I posted that on my blog and the graphic designer, apparently from this billboard, came on there recently and posted that he had never heard of me until Forbes magazine wrote about it, but that he was the one that designed that billboard, the graphics for it, and that Lena Spejo had nothing to do with it. Oh, wow. But anyway, in this email to my future PO, uh, this SIS agent at Brian Camp, she alleged you know, that I'm the one that hired it, that it turned around on federal property. She gave a link to my blog. So obviously Brian's staff is still obsessed with my blog, even though I haven't been there in a year now, because I left there February of 20 uh, or yeah, of 2020. So, um, and then she also in this same email said that I was uh, talking to inmates at Brian. So my uh, future probation officer, it's my understanding that she uh, emailed him back and said, you know, I'm not even over her yet. However, I'm not really sure what you would want me to do because I don't, I don't see anything that she has violated. So, um, so the PO forwarded the email to city of faith, halfway house, the halfway house that was over, over me and monitoring me on the ankle monitor and to my case manager. So sometime after that, uh, it was, we were already into January. She called me and um, she wanted to see how Christmas went, tell me I needed to come in and sign a uh, progress report. And she got into this email she had received. And she told me that, you know, she asked me about the billboard and I Mm -hmm. told her, no, I did not hire the billboard. However, what if I did? What rule is, what rule have I violated? Like that's freedom of speech. She said, well, that really wasn't a rule, but, you know, since I had um, sent some bills that my insurance didn't pay for the skin cancer that Brian, uh, PA staff, medical staff allowed me to get while I was in prison, that I had uh, treated as soon as I got out. She said, well, that's going to look bad. I'm like, well, I don't see the connection here, but however, I did not rent the billboard. So then she said, well, I also have a link to your blog. And I said, okay, great. Um, What's the problem there? And she said, well, you know, she know what to say. I said, look, I've already been down that road with the BOP. When I was incarcerated, I was written a shot, an incident report for blogging. And I beat that at the regional level because the regional legal team agreed with me that I had a right to blog. It's freedom of speech and you can't stop me. So she didn't know what to say to that either. Then she went on down the list about the truck turning around on federal property. And I said, well, even if it did, even if I was the one that hired it, I can't control what other people do. So I don't even know what, what, what is the reason behind this. And then she asked me, was I communicating with other inmates and that were still incarcerated? And I said, absolutely. And I've sent them Christmas cards as well. I mean, I admitted it right away. I had no issue admitting it because I didn't feel like I was violating any rule. And she told me that I couldn't do that. And I said, well, what rule is that? Because that's not in anything I went over in orientation. That's not in your halfway house manual. So what am I violating? What is it that you're telling me I've done? Well, she couldn't point to a specific rule, but she just said that it was a rule and that I could no longer communicate with inmates. And I said, okay, 
but what about my radio show? Because, I mean, that's who comes on my radio show. And she said, what radio show? And I said, the one I've been doing since I got home. And then she told me, well, I don't think you can do that either. You have to have permission. Like, what permission? She said, from the BOP, that she would check on it. So I go and I pull up the BOP policy. It's policy 1480.05. Mm -hmm. which is uh, the policy on news media, contact with media, you know, doing anything that has to do with a blog, you know, uh, anything to do with me being on your podcast, for instance. She told me I can no longer do those. And so I look up the policy. Yes. I look up the policy. And the only thing that you need permission for is if you are incarcerated, meaning I would be actually at the camp or in Mm -hmm. prison somewhere, And someone like you or a news station would want to come into the prison to talk to me. Okay. So you need permission to do that. Otherwise, no. I went back over all the halfway house rules, looked up everything. Nowhere in there did it say I could not communicate with inmates. The only thing it said was to do with a cell phone policy. And this was for people that actually lived at the halfway house. But you know, since I was through them, I assume maybe this policy applies to me too. That policy read that I was not to use my cell phone to text or call a resident, meaning another person in home confinement, or an uh, an inmate. So again, I don't even know why that's a policy for inmates because I'm not able to text or call an inmate with my cell phone anyway. So. I was communicating via the CoreLinks uh, email system that is the BOP-owned, monitored, you know, email system where they read everything you write and email in everything the inmate writes back to you. So I, I didn't understand, you know, any policy I had violated. So this was, you know, the week before they put me back um, in the county jail. So that Friday, when I was supposed to do my next radio show, I sent her an email and it says, look, I'm not trying to get crossways with you, the BOP, anybody else, but I need to know, can I do this radio show tonight? I'm already scheduled. It's been scheduled. And I gave her a link to that 1480.05 policy pointing out that where in there was I violating anything? Where did I need permission? I um, I sent her a link to Michael Cohen's case where, I mean, it's, it's very similar. You know, they put him mm-hmm. back in uh, prison because he was wanting to expose his book and other things that um, that the they were trying to make him sign something, giving up his rights to free speech to be on home confinement. And I felt like that case set precedent for anyone on home confinement. And I gave this long spiel. Well, the next thing I know, I... I get an email from actually the director of the halfway house, Michael South. And he is telling me that, um, that the RRM manager in Dallas, Texas, Grand Prairie. Named what does Sean, that stand for? RRM? It's a uh, reentry, uh, residential reentry management. I think it's, it's okay. the, it's they're at, they're at the BOP. Okay. It's the BOP that manages halfway houses. Um, I think it's reentry residential management. Maybe it's what the RRM stands for, but he is the person, his name is Sean Smith. He's in Dallas. He is the person that's over this region, the South central region, halfway houses. 
he had specifically instructed me I was not to do that radio show until this was all worked out. Okay. So I emailed him back and I said, I clearly think this is a violation of my freedom of speech. However, I'm not, I'm not going to go against what you're saying, even though I think you're wrong. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm arguing my point that you are wrong, that I've already been down this road with the BOP about my blog. And, um, I think you're wrong for withholding me from doing my radio show tonight. However, because you have specifically instructed me not to be on there, I'm not going to get on there. But I'm letting you know up front that I'm going to appeal this all the way to Washington. I'm going to start admin remedies and I'm going to appeal it because that's my legal right. And on my radio show tonight, someone else will be hosting it and they're going to tell my listening audience just why I'm not on there. And I left it at that. This was on Friday, January 8th. I did not hear anything on Monday, January the 11th. Not a peep. Mm-hmm. I, didn't, I didn't email them. They didn't email me. On Tuesday morning, January the 12th, I went to work at my church. And while I was at my church, I had the, a call from the Michael South. The, the residential manager of City of Faith. And Mr. Smout South told me that I was to immediately report to the City of Faith halfway house to be picked up by the U.S. Marshals because I was being violated. He would not, however, tell me on the phone what I was being violated for. So I get my stuff. I leave my, my church I get on my cell phone. I call my husband and tell him what's going on. And he says, you are kidding, right? Uh, I was like, no, Pancho, I'm not kidding. Mm. I've been told to get to the halfway house and that I'm being taken back to prison. And, you know, amazingly enough, I was really calm because I had predicted on my blog, I had written a blog about the SIS agent sending this email. And in the very last paragraph of that blog, just like the, the day before, actually, that they told me to come that on that Monday, the 11th, I'd written this blog post. And I, I state that I would not put it past the BOP with, with all the retaliation I received when I was on the inside of those walls for blogging and exposing them to violate me. And I even predicted that it was going to fall through if they did, that someone would eventually have to answer for it. But I predicted that they would do this. Because I know how they operate and how dirty they are. And so um, I was not surprised that, that they did it. So I, I'm, I'm at home. I'm taking off my jewelry. I'm putting on some old clothes in case, you know, they lose your clothes when you check in mm-hmm. to the popo. And, I mean, I'm calm. I don't like it, but I'm calm. Now, the halfway house and the BOP was aware that, I was supposed to start back to grad school on the 12th or the 13th of January. And this is on the 12th that they're telling me to report back. They are aware that my husband and I have already paid over $2,000 for my last two classes in my master's program to graduate this May. So, you know, they were willing to derail, you know, reentry needs because mm-hmm. I'm assuming that, you know, they would want someone to graduate and become gainfully employed, especially you, when you would think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that, that would be the, the rational, logical thing is somebody on track who's, you know, trying to better themselves. But 
I guess they were just out uh, out for spite. So it did, is what did, it is, John. You call it like you say it, and and yes. Did you get to please. see your husband before you ended up reporting? Did he? Well, I told him to come home and get me because mm-hmm. we live in Sherwood, and the halfway house is in Little Rock, and I didn't want him trying to figure out how to get my car. How, you know, it was just it just better if he took me over there. So I come home and I get you know changed, and he comes home and he is stressing out because I mean you know this is not something that we're used to dealing with. And so, you know, I'm calm. I calm up. I did call the PO because in the interim of, um, of her getting that email, I had asked the case manager at city of faith, Hey, since she's gotten this email, I don't want this to be her first impression of me. I want to know my PO's name and number. So back when, when that happened originally, I called her up the PO and she told me at the time, she thought I had not violated anything. She didn't have an issue with what was reported to her. She didn't even understand why they were even reporting it. She just was kind of shocked. And she even came by my house a few days later to introduce herself to me. And so I called her and I said, hey, look, here's what's happening. Um, I've just been told to come to the halfway house. And I've been told, you know, that U.S. Marshals would be meeting me there. Um, to take me back. And I've, I've received some sort of incident report, but they won't tell me what, it, what it's about. And she was shocked. She was like, what? So I, I can't, like I said, we reported over there. Um, I'm sitting there. They served me with the incident report. And all it says in it is that I've been emailing in, in, inmates. I mean, that's all it said. The only email that, um, that they quoted <laughs> was one that clearly tells what their issue was. The other, the, in fact, I'll send you a copy of it, John, so you can post it out there for your listeners. Sure, that would be great. Um, but um, the email states different inmates and where they're located at, you know, what, what prison they're at, either at Oklahoma, I think Greenville, Bryan. It states their name and number that I was communicating with. Then the last paragraph quotes one email. Mind you, most of my emails are just, hey, keep your chin up. You know, how are you doing? I'm praying for you. Just very, you know, encouraging people that I left behind. However, the email that they chose to quote in their um, incident report was one where I give the number to the radio show to an inmate that wanted to call in. And she, she emails me back and tells me that, she was not able to call in, but they have lots of things they want to report, such as violations, civil lawsuits that are being filed. Mm-hmm. And that's the email that the BOP chose to report in this in this incident report, which to me just tips the hat at what they were getting at. They were they were mad at me because I, I won't shut up, basically. You know, that's it's plain and simple. Mm-hmm. I will not go away quietly. And not only that, since I've had to put this out there in court records, let me just tell you that I'm also uh, cooperating right now, and they know about this, Brian does, with a state of Texas investigation into their fraudulent cosmetology program. So I'm mm. quite sure that that had a lot to do with it as well, because um, the the state of Texas has been trying to get records from them, and part of the records they've been trying to get have to do with me. So um, in my time that I spent in cosmetology class there, uh, when I was asked to sign uh, fraudulent paperwork and refused, and that's out of my blog too. And, uh, you know, I was put out of cosmetology. We talked about this the last time you interviewed me. Mm-hmm. And um, 
I reported it to my state senator and I fought my way back in because I refused to sign paperwork for fraudulent hours that I was being asked to sign by staff at Bryant. Um, so the, the fraudulent hours were that we're saying that if you could refresh our memory with, with that, it, it, they wanted me to log hours that I didn't get in Cosmo and say I got them because, you know, this is a federal grant program that pays for this. And they mm-hmm. uploaded those hours to the state of Texas. And I told them, absolutely not. I'm already serving time for a crime I didn't commit being fraud. I'm not about to commit fraud when when this is yeah. clearly fraud. So they had to have so many hours probably shown in order to continue to get the funding. I'm quite like sure. That. And yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't go for it. So right. um, again, you know, this was, they knew that this investigation was going on. In fact, when I was at um, Oklahoma, you know, I got out May the 27th from Oklahoma uh, to due to the CARES Act and came home on home confinement. Shortly before that was when um I was brought an affidavit from the SIS at Oklahoma that came. It said it was from the Department of Justice. And the first paragraph started out in November of 2018. Did you tell Senator John Bozeman, blah, blah, blah. And it was talking about what I had reported to him about the fraudulent hours and and some other stuff I reported to him that was fraudulent that was going on at the Bryan prison camp. And I did blog about it at the time. In fact, that I, I was written up uh, for that blog. The blog title was Corruption at the BOP. And they took great offense to that. And that was where I got on the wrong side of the fence with Brian Stapp was once I started exposing what was going on there. Mm-hmm. They were fine with my blogging as long as I was just talking about my feelings and prison recipes and, you know, other things. It was when I started reporting what really goes on inside those walls that they took offense. Right. And I was on the, I was on their bad side from that point forward. Um, you know, I we've talked about this in your past episodes that um, I was thrown in the shoe a couple of times and held at Brian being threatened to be shipped. Uh, you know, they were going to do this. They were going to do that, you know, pun- trying to punish me. And it just didn't work. I just didn't shut up. So, you know, I just wasn't I wasn't a staff favorite, needless to say. But anyway, I reported over to the City of Faith on that that day, January the 12th. And around 2 or 2.30, the U.S. Marshal shows up. And, of course, they belly chain, shackle, handcuff. I mean, you know, all the whole works. He puts me in the back of his cruiser. And uh, we're driving to the county, Pulaski County Jail. And he said, what did you do, flunk a drug screen? And I kind of laughed. I was like, no, I don't do drugs. He goes, well, you don't look like the type. And, and honestly, you don't look like the type that I normally have to take back to prison. So I just passed him the piece of paper, the, the incident report. And he read it and he said, wait a minute, I'm taking you back to prison for emails? And I was like, that would be the case, sir. That's what it wow. seems to be. And so he, he, he sit there a little bit and he said, he looks in the rearview mirror at me. He goes, what you really do? And I said, well, <laughs> and so I tell him about the email to the PO and about the, you know, billboard and what I'm being accused of. He goes, I knew it couldn't be about these emails. He goes, I've never seen anything like this. And he goes, uh, you know, I may work for the government, but I know they're fraudulent. They're, they're not honest. And he said, what's your blog name? I want to read it. He goes, you, you must be hitting a nerve. <laughs> so he literally wrote my blog down. He got me out to the county jail and he, wow. he actually went in and stayed there with me until they took me into the holding cell. 
because he was chatting me up. He just couldn't believe it. He wanted to know what all I, I'd exposed. And, mm-hmm. you know, he was just kind of really intrigued with this because, again, he's not used to taking people back unless they flunk, you know, drug. They're doing drugs. So Maybe, maybe um, he's listening to this podcast right now. Hopefully. You never know because apparently he's reading my blog. Uh, yeah. from, from what my uh, probation officer told me, their whole office was reading it and, you know, basically rooting for me to get out. So they saw, they saw it as retaliation and wrong. Um, and you know, anybody that's honest would. So, um, I spent 15 glorious days out at the Pulaski County jail. Um, and one morning on the morning of the 27th, January 27th, this was the start of the 15th day. And by the way, the BOP had by case, by policy, 14 days to bring me before the DHO. Now, let me just say this. A 300 series shot, John, is not a DHO shot, meaning instant report. Those are usually decided. The the 1 in 200 series, which is more serious, uh, go before a DHO, which is a disciplinary hearing uh, hearing officer. Mm -hmm. The 3 in 400 series shots are normally decided at the institution level, meaning in this case would have been City of Faith halfway house. However, City of Faith staff, multiple staff members, made it clear to me that City of Faith did not want to write this incident report because I had been a model resident. I had not violated anything. I was always where I was supposed to be. I called, I answered my phone, I did everything asked of me, okay? So they did not, and I'd been on home confinement right at eight months when this happened. Um, So they did not want to write the shot. They were told by Sean Smith, the manager at the RRM, that I ticked off with probably my emails on January the um, 8th, that Friday, about the radio show. Um, They were told by him they had to write the shot. Not only did they have to write it, they had to move it to a DHO shot meaning they had to up it to where it had to go before a disciplinary hearing officer, meaning the BOP would decide my fate, not City of Faith halfway house. So they want, didn't want the halfway house to do you know, any of the deciding on what happened to me. They wanted to make sure that it was uh, their decision. Right. So um, during the time that I was at the county jail, um, they had. They were supposed to come and see me and team. What's called team you, meaning a case can you, can manager. You talk, can you talk about just for a second to give people an idea? What was what was you know the experience like in the county jail? The time you spent there. Oh yeah, um, it's really bad. It actually made um, Oklahoma or Brian look like Taj Mahal. I mean, literally, it was that bad. Um, I was in what they deemed their COVID unit, however, mm-hmm. or their quarantine for COVID. Um, nothing was being sterilized. Nothing was being cleaned. Anybody that comes to the county jail, be it for a day, a night, a few hours, if, you know, people that get drunk and get brought in, people that get in domestic disputes, there was a lot of that coming in. They may stay even a couple of hours and get bailed out. All of those people came through that unit. We had contact with all them. Nothing was being sterilized. In the 15 days I was there, I was given no socks, no bra, no underwear. I was given one change of clothes during 15 days. I got one change of clothes. Uh, wow. Yes. Um, the shower, I, I, I offered to clean it. It was so nasty and filthy and just like 
if you touch the wall, it was some kind of slime. I don't know. They, they didn't even have lights in the shower. They didn't want you to see what it looked like. Um, we were allowed to be off our bunk one hour a day. Otherwise, you were stuck, you know, just being down on a, on a bed. Um, like I said, people were coming in and out. I was moved seven times to seven different beds in 15 days. So, and none of the rooms were sterilized or, or clean before I got in them. Um, what did you do to pass the time? Like, did you have a book or anything? They like, had no do? books, really. I finally got a Bible. Uh, I had to mm-hmm. ask the chaplain. About a week into it, I got my Bible. Um, there was very few books around. Uh, most of them were like scholastic books. Like, I mean, we're talking grade school level books. Um, the mental health people that were there, people with mental illness, it was horrific the way they were being treated. Hmm. Women were brought in. And they were asked a series of questions like, um, are you having a bad day? Like whatever. And this one lady said, she told him, yes, it's the worst day of my life. I don't even, I just, I just don't even want to make it anymore. Well, they put her on suicide watch. Suicide watch there was stripped totally naked with a little blanket called a turtle suit. Some of them were paper. Some of them were green, like a green Velcro thing. Uh, Not allowed to have anything else in their cell. And I hope this isn't too graphic for your listeners, but there was one woman in suicide. She was very mentally ill. She talked in five different voices. And mind you, I'm getting my master's right now in clinical mental health counseling. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm graduating this semester. So this was very disturbing to me from a professional level, as well as just a personal level of watching it. Right. But she was talking in five different voices. So she had multiple personalities going on. She, was at, she didn't have any clue what was going on. They put her in the rubber room naked. Um, She had the turtle suit, but I mean, it's freezing cold, mind you. Like my toes felt like they were going to break. It was so cold out there. And these people are being put naked in these rooms. She was on her monthly cycle and there was blood everywhere. She was, they would not even give her anything for that. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. There was a girl out there. She's in her, she's about 20. Um, don't get me wrong. She was, she's mentally ill too and was doing bad things. She was really pushing their buttons, uh, running from them, uh, getting naked and running through the unit, just, you know, uh, getting away from five guards. They had them, um, on full restraint, meaning she's handcuffed. She's shackled. She has a leather, looks like a, a leash from her neck down to her feet. And she's still beating up five guards. And, you know, she was manhandled really bad. I saw her slammed to the floor. I saw her um, put in what's called a restraint chair. And, you know, just some horrific things. They're not equipped out there to handle that. Now, let me say this. The medical out there, I felt was very good. They did, they did keep losing my Flonase for my allergies. They lost it like three times in 15 days. I, I'm not sure what's up with that. I'd go two or three days without it, and they'd either order it or find it again. However, they were very nice, and I felt like the medical did try to, to help you. Um, I don't think the medical liked what was going on with these mentally ill patients. I would see the look on their face when they came in, but there's not a lot they can do because this is coming from higher-up staff to, to, you know, do this to these women. And it was obvious. They just didn't know how to handle the situation. They're not equipped for it. So they probably should not be housing people with mental illness for sure. And the one, yeah, yeah, the one lady that, like I said, the 20 year old, she's out there for murder. 
and the one that was getting wow. away from them. And that was, I mean, one night she literally jumped from a top bunk all night long onto a desk until she got it to break off the wall. And this is a desk that is bolted and um, soldered to a brick wall. Uh, you know, so she was very diligent in getting that to, to happen all night long. I mean, the rest of us are just hearing this metal banging all night. So, you know, I was having panic attacks. I was having mm-hmm. high anxiety. My blood pressure went up and I, I don't even have high blood pressure. They were trying to put me on high blood pressure medicine. I'm like, hold on here. I've never been on that. And not only that, I don't suffer from high blood pressure ever. And after a few days, it did go back down to normal, the blood pressure. But, um, you know, I was just sitting there expecting to stay till June. I was just going to make the best of it. I didn't know if I was fixing to go on what's called diesel therapy, where they, uh, the BOP sends you to all kinds of county jails and just keeps moving you, moving you, moving you. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I felt like eventually I would have to go back through Oklahoma and then go to um, Aliceville, Alabama, which is where I had been uh, headed when I got stuck at uh, Oklahoma during COVID. And I felt like because I had heard that you had to hit federal soil to be released from federal prison at some point. I didn't know if that worked the same for people that had gotten out on home confinement, but I do know people that get violated like at the camp and would go to somewhere else, a holding facility, like for fighting or whatever. I had always heard that those inmates would have to be moved back to a BOP facility prior to getting released. So I, I kind of suspected that that was going to happen. And I knew it was going to go one of two ways. Uh, first of all, I knew the shot was actually invalid based on BOP policy. And I so much as told them that. By BOP policy, they were supposed to do what's called a team on this shot, this, this incident report within five days. They did not do that. Uh, they did not follow policy. However, on the seventh day, they did send someone from the city of faith out there to get my statement. He was quite shocked to know that I knew BOP policy and was demanding that I get my staff representative. I mean, he, he was shocked. His eyes got huge when I started quoting policy. And I told him, I said, yeah, I've, I've been down this road before with the BOP and I do know policy and I was quoting the policy number and everything. I told him I, I was supposed to get a, a staff representative and I even named the person at Bryan, Texas that I wanted to be my staff representative. And he said, well, we can't get someone from Brian here. I said, well, are you really going to bring me somewhere to, to do this? Well, he had to admit no. I said, well, why can't they be on a phone call? Well, well, we just can't do that. So they wanted me to pick someone at city of faith. So he basically picked the staff representative for me. And I said, well, does this person even know policy? He goes, well, he knows it better than probably anyone at at our office. I said, well, okay, that's not real assuring, but whatever. And I told him, I said, look, this this incident report is invalid. First of all, Mr. South that signed it did not witness me emailing anybody. My admission to Ms. Shannon that I did do it is is not good enough for um, the BOP to find me guilty of this. By BOP policy, by inmate discipline policy, um, the staff member writing the shot has to witness the inmate committing the act that's in the shot, the incident report. Shot is what we call them. That's the short name for them. That's the inmate name. Wouldn't wouldn't just seeing the email qualify as witnessing? No. No, No. and here's why. Because City of Faith does not have um, access to core links where I was emailing, right? 
So that means Mr. Sean Smith, who sent these emails, by the way, on January the 8th at 418, right after I'm having these emails with him at two o'clock about the radio show. Okay, he sends these emails and it says that in the in the incident report that at 418 on January the 8th, we received, you know, from the RRM Dallas, these this this that, you know, I'm emailing. And um, and mind you, I'd been they had said they weren't going to pursue this. Miss Shannon had already told me the day on the phone that she asked me about it. She wasn't going to pursue it. So weeks later, when I start bucking them about my radio show, they come back and do this. So I point out that the shot's faulty, that he doesn't have CoreLink's access, Mr. South, that signed the shot. Therefore, by BOP policy, this shot is technically invalid and must be dismissed. And I told the guy that came out to the, to the, uh, from City of Faith out to the Pulaski County Jail to write this down. And I'm reading what he wrote, and I'm like, no, that's not what I said. This is what I want you to write down. This is my statement. And I want you to write every word of this down. So he's sitting there writing, you know, what I say down. And I told him, I said, and also please note that as soon as I get out of here, that I will be filing a lawsuit on the BOP. I'm going to name every one of you that participate in this in the lawsuit, because this is clearly a violation of my rights and retaliation. And I told him, I said, why don't you show up on day seven? Is this because, you know, Judge Baker, because in the interim, Judge well, let's, let me back up a minute. Back in December, I had filed a pro se compassionate release motion with my judge to get off the ankle monitor and be released straight to supervised release. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I had quoted was, since I've been home, and I told you this last time I was on, I've been suffering from PTSD, anxiety, panic attacks, from what I went through being housed in the men's shoe with men present in Oklahoma during COVID to be for quarantine and just the things that went on there, being in solitary confinement pretty much for a hundred days. And I'd been asking for counseling from the BOP and it had not been provided yet. And I had proof in writing that I had asked for it. And also because I've got to do my last internship to graduate in May and it's not real appropriate to be counseling people when you have a big ankle monitor on. That's going to kind of hamper you in a professional environment. So I had asked the judge to let me off the ankle monitor early and to go straight to supervised release. I'd still be, you know, on my, my probation for three years. So it wasn't like I was just getting off set free, but I had already had that pending before the court. Well, I was put back in the County jail on a Tuesday On that Friday, the judge calls my probation officer to tell her I'm about to be released to her that day. My probation officer says, well, you know, she's out at the county jail, right? Well, the judge's office had no idea. So she gives the government till the following Wednesday to give her proof of these alleged, and it says so in her order, alleged violation. Apparently, the PO had told the judge's office what was going on with the email she got had provided it and that she thought this was clearly retaliation, you know, whatever she told them, they, they were aware of the situation in the interim. Um, I was typing on a little tablet at the, uh, jail to my husband in an email telling him what to file for me at the court. And I filed a document telling her my side of what was going on, told her why the incident report was, was not valid under BOP policy uh, told her that I was cooperating with an investigation, let that cat on out the bag. 
mm-hmm. uh, with the Cosmo thing. I told her this was clearly retaliation. And I also provided her a copy of the incident report, uh, the halfway house manual, where there's nowhere in there that told me I couldn't communicate with inmates. And um, a few other, you know, things, BOP policy on inmate discipline, telling her how they had not, they're not following policy. They're not even trying to come out here and, and resolve this with me. They've just locked me up where I can't get a hold of any paperwork or anything. And they're not even doing what they're supposed to. So this was on day seven that the halfway house staff showed up. And I said to him, so why are you out here? Because y'all have till five o'clock to provide something to the judge. He goes, what judge? I'm like, oh, you didn't know that Judge Baker has demanded to have this stuff by five o'clock today? And he's like, his eyes got real big. Uh, No, I don't know anything about that. But he wrote her name down. I told him, I said, yeah, I got something pending with the court. Um, You know, and I've let her know all about what's going on. And and I also had let her know that the halfway house had told me and my husband that they didn't want to write this shot. And the guy reiterated it to me when he was out at the jail that day. And so I'm telling him, you know, y'all need to do the right thing at your office. I know the BOP is telling you to do this, but you're in the wrong, too, if you keep going along with this. You need to release me now because you know that I did not violate anything and that I've been a model inmate. And basically, y'all are participating in this retaliation by, you know, holding me here. He's like, well, again, you know, there's nothing we can do. We're being forced to do this. So he writes down stuff that I tell him and he takes it back to city of faith. Mind you, they're two days late on this team. And I told him so. Then two two days later, they were two days late on what? On teaming me by policy, by policy, they had five days to come out and serve me basically with the team paperwork, you know, uh, about the, about the shots. So, I'm telling him that, you know, I'm going to sue him. And so the he's like kind of his eyes are real big and he really doesn't know what to say because I know I, I kind of got the feeling I knew more policy than he, he did. He he did not know about the staff representative. He he had to look and start reading. He was like, well, I don't think so. I'm like, yeah, I get one. It's policy. You know, I said, do I need do I need to quote it to you? He starts looking. He goes, oh, well, wait. Yes, right here. Okay. Who do you want? And then he wouldn't let me have who I wanted. Um, so a few days later, um, I get called again by a guard and he brings a cell phone and it's the city of faith again. And it's someone higher up above this guy has called and they're having some kind of little hearing, still no DHO officer. Okay. So we're into a second step of this, this shot. And I'm telling this Mr. Williams, the same thing, this shot's not valid. You know, it's not. Uh, my supposed staff representative was there and he started quoting things. And I'm like, I had to correct him because I'm like, that's not policy. Policy says this. And he tried at first to say no. And then I guess he started looking at something and he was like, oh, okay. Um, so, you know, the staff representative that they appointed to me didn't even know policy. But regardless, you know, this was not about what was truth, right, wrong. Right. You know, this was just plain and simple, you know, one of two things, either they were going to find me guilty of it. And by the time I appealed it, I was already have going to probably be almost out because it takes Mm -hmm. forever to get through the administrative remedy process, a good six months. Or my second guess, especially when they did not do the DHO hearing by the 14th day, which is policy. 
I started suspecting they were just going to hold me for some period of time, their pound of flesh, and then dismiss it and let me go back on home confinement. Okay. That's what I started suspecting. However, in the meantime, the judge ruled in my favor. She just ignored their, their incident report in her order and just said that I was out there. It was a COVID situation. She basically granted me compassionate release and let me gave them to three o'clock the following day to release me. And so I got released. Now the halfway house, I sent them a uh, freedom of information act requesting everything I've ever signed. And they're refusing to give it to me. I told them, okay, great. I'll just have to file something with the court to get it. Cause you know, you're violating my rights again here. (laughs) It's, it's just amazing that, you know, throughout this whole thing, they, they continue to, it's like they think that they're somehow going to silence you when it's everything they do is it's just you know motivates you more to speak out. So it doesn't absolutely doesn't and, make any and sense. You know what's so funny is is that they didn't want that billboard being talked about. Well, once Walt wrote his article and put a picture of it, it's now national headlines. He told me that that has been shared. I don't know how many times, mm-hmm. and I see it all over the internet. I've had so many people contacting me, like, "Oh my gosh," you know. So basically, they just they just made it even more news. Yeah, well, and that's what that's what happens it, with now. You yeah, know, this stuff when you when you try to suppress stuff, it just it just gives it energy and it amplifies it. So if they want to do that, then that's that's what's going to happen. So are you going to continue with the radio show now, or what's what's the plan going forward? Yes, um, Larry is revamping uh, the way uh, their their things work on the radio, and so I do plan on moving forward with the radio show. In fact, I'm about to put out a blog post here um, in the next few days called "Staycation at Plat." County Jail, and I'm going to talk about my experience out there mm-hmm. and how the BOP retaliated. But um, I'm going to keep advocating for women. I'm, I, you know, I want to even more uh, now after seeing the the conditions at the county jail and how mental health patients are being treated out there. My long term goal is uh, when I graduate in May to hopefully work with women that have had traumas and. Um, you know, ex-inmates, whatever. I want to definitely continue advocacy work. My uh, long-term goal is to get before Congress to talk about the changes that are needed in our our broken system. And, you know, I'm not going to be quiet, obviously. I mean, Mm -hmm. it's just not going to happen. I feel like, you know, I, I went to prison as an innocent person. There had to be a reason for me to go. I honestly believe that at this point that it's just, it's God's plan for me Mm -hmm. to speak out. In fact, when, when I was out at the County jail, um, I was actually praying about it and I was like, okay, God, here I am back in jail. I don't want to be here, but obviously, you know, there's something else I need to see on this journey. And, you know, I even prayed, I said, look, God, if, if I am bringing this on myself because I'm continuing to speak out and this is not your plan, you know, give me some sign here, you know, show me what your plan is in all this. And I did not get the sense that that was it. Um, however, I will tell you, I had peace about the situation, mainly because of my faith. It just, you know, I just prayed about it when I was out there. I was like, okay, I don't want to be here till June, but if that's your plan, God, here we go. I'm, I'm your willing servant and here we go again. 
So mm-hmm. I had really made peace with it. I was shocked that morning that, um, in fact, I had been moved at one o'clock that the morning before during the night to another unit, um, into a smoking unit. And I couldn't even breathe. And I was just like, cause I have bad allergies. And I was, I was really laying there that day going, okay, God, you know, I can't breathe. What? Get me out of here. This is crazy. You know, my allergies, I'm not gonna be able to make it in this smoking unit. And that was like, at, you know, one o'clock in the morning, I was moved on the 26th uh, into the 27th morning. And I was, I was on a bunk out in the open and um, the guard's desk was like not but a few feet from me. And the phone rings about eight-ish, nine that morning. And I hear her say, she's looking right at me. She goes, the federal inmate? And I was, and then she said, okay, and hung up. She looked at me. She goes, pack your, you know, cuss word, you're going home. And I'm like, okay. So I'm thinking 14 days was the day before the BOP has dismissed this false incident report because they knew it was false and I'm going home. Well, I call my husband. He's like, no, the judge ruled in your favor. And I'm like, but you told me the judge already ruled against me a few weeks ago. Well, come to find out my husband was mistaken. When he got the government's response trying to say the judge should deny it, he thought that came from the judge and told me she had ruled against me. So I'd been sitting there, you know, for more than a week Uh, thinking the judge had already ruled. And I was just waiting on the BOP to do what they were going to do. However, she had not ruled. So um, anyway, when I called him, he told me, yeah, the PO had called him that morning and told him that the judge ruled in my favor and that they, she gave the BOP till three o'clock that day to let me out. I probably was out there by one. The county jail went all ahead and let me go. But, um, you know, it, it, it just wasn't meant, it, was, it wasn't meant for the BOP to get by with this one. However, mind you, I served 15 days in county jail and I've yet to be found guilty of anything. They did not, they never found me guilty of their incident report because they never followed policy and, you know, came and did what they were supposed to, to bring me before a DHO. So, well, that's, that's now two times that you've been, uh, been put in jail or put in prison for, uh, for a crime you did not commit. So it's, yeah. And, and, and by the way, the rule that they finally came up with to give the judge is the standard rule that says um, you will not knowingly associate with felons. However, that association legally means in a criminal manner. It doesn't mean you can't talk to other felons. I mean, mind you, half the people get out of prison, their whole family has been in prison. Mm-hmm. You know, so they're living with other felons. That That association in the legal term means you may not criminally associate with another felon. But the BOP was trying to pass that off to the judge is the rule I violated. That's what they came up with, was this standard rule of home confinement that, by the way, I apparently signed at Oklahoma and never got a copy of, was never given anything, you know, just pushed out the door there. Mm-hmm. They, they had no idea what they were doing and never gave me a copy of anything. You know, they made me sign paperwork for Halfway House and wouldn't even let me read it. But when you're about to go home and they're telling you, you know, this is just paperwork to go home, you're like, okay, here, where do I sign? You know, I never got a copy of it and they never explained it or let me even look at it. However, that that falls flat on its face anyway. So I don't even know how they would have made the shot stick. Put aside the technical issues with Mr. South signing it. Um, how would it have stuck anyway? Because 
that's not even, I didn't even violate anything. So they were in a world of hurt. However, um, if you follow me on Twitter, I'm, I've uh, been actually tweeting to the BOP, the official BOP, and asking them if they want to talk to me about all the fraud that I saw at the BOP. I've also <laughs> sent them a link to the article that Walt wrote and told them exactly which staff members they could thank for that article. So You can BOP, tweet them this podcast too when it comes out. BOP, if you're listening, hey, I'm willing to talk. Come, come see me. I can tell you a lot of stuff. Well, I got to tell you, Lynn, I, uh, after everything you've been through, I mean, I admire your tenacity and your, you just, you just don't back down. And that is so necessary. And, and you're, you were talking about your faith. And honestly, I, I, I agree with you. I think that this all did happen for a reason. And sure, you know, when, when you're in the middle of it, you might not understand why and what's happening. But um, I think your voice is needed and it's needed to have it to, to help to elevate um, all the things that are wrong with the BOP. And, you know, the more that they push back or did push back, that's just going to, you know, pour gasoline on the fire. So, well, I'll tell you what, John, I'm going to provide you with the incident report. I'm going to provide you with those emails that I've talked about uh, because, hey, they're to my personal email. So, you know, Sorry, people, but you're now exposed, so I'm going to just provide them. You're, you're welcome to post those out there for your listeners to read. Uh, I have nothing I to hide, and my goal now is to expose all the fraud in the system. I mean, it starts at the prosecution level, and it goes all the way through the system. And, you know, we're not rehabilitating people. I talked about this last time I was on. My goal is to try to help people not go back to prison. I mean, mm-hmm. I have a better situation. I have a, I'm very blessed in my life. And that's another thing. When I was out at the county jail, I was telling God, thank you for this. Thank you for that. Because I do realize I have a better situation than most people that go to prison and come home. And I want that for other women. I, I don't know exactly how I'm going to accomplish that. I don't know if eventually I'm going to try to maybe open some kind of reentry center. I, I don't know what, what's you know going to happen in my life, but I do know that it will be something to do with helping women do better, uh, you know, knowing their value and worth and, you know, not, that, that prison does not have to set them back for the rest of their life. And, you know, the, the BLP is not doing anything to rehabilitate people or help them get ahead. I've heard horror stories since we've been home. People can't rent apartments. People aren't allowed to do certain jobs uh, because the, the BLP just says, no, you can't do that job, you know. So they're undermining people left and right on home confinement. And I just, I truly believe that we've got to do better in this country. We've got to stop incarcerating so many nonviolent first time offenders, would be the first step. And secondly, if we are going to incarcerate drug addicts and people that, need help with certain situations, can't we do something to help them get that help while they're there? Let's not just lock people up and human warehouse them. Let's let's mm-hmm. do something to make a change because we are not sending people better back into society. And anyone at a camp or a first-time nonviolent offender, they're eventually going to be your neighbor working with you. They're going to be somewhere in back in the community. So I know personally, I did not come back better. Well, I told you, PTSD, anxiety, I didn't have all that. So 
let's let's do better. If we're going to have this system of locking people up, at least let's make it count for something. And let's help people when they're reentering society. You know, um, when I got back to Arkansas, Arkansas passed at 990 while I was in prison. And people now that take cosmetology and other classes at prison cannot get a license in Arkansas. So we're continuing to close doors on people instead of giving people a second chance. It's not good enough for us, you know, people to serve their time. You know, mm-hmm. when they get out, they're still being punished. And that's another thing I would like to bring attention to and try to see uh, some change in. But again, my goal is to get before Congress. So, you know, if you've got anybody listening, hey, invite me on up to Washington. I'm ready to talk. There you go. I, I agree. Send send Lynn to Washington. I can get behind that. But Lynn, uh, we're, we're we're out of time now. So uh, just I, I want to give you one minute just to plug your uh, your blog and the the radio show. Anything else you're working on? Just to let people find that stuff. All right. Well, my radio show is called Inside the Walls and Beyond. And uh, it can be found on Justice Broadcasting Network, Larry Levine, Street Justice. And I also do some work with with, uh, him on his other uh, show called Chaos Crew. And my blog is Inside the Walls in its own WordPress. And it starts uh, back in 2017 talking about my case and how corrupt that was. And it just moves forward, uh, blog most of my, you know, way through prison and also since I've been home. And so um, I just encourage people, you know, reach out to me. I have people reach out to me every day. I'm more than happy to talk with people that are about to go into prison and, you know, ease their minds a little bit. It's it's not as bad as you think it's going to be. I mean, it's not good. I don't wish it on anybody, but, you know, you're going to get through it and um, and just be strong and and, you know, stand up for what's right. Don't don't let staff lead you in the wrong direction because they they will try. Yep. Lynn, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, John. Hey guys, you know, a lot of the times on this show, I'm talking about the criminal justice system, injustice in the criminal justice system. I've talked about in the past big time cases of injustice and none is bigger than the case of Ross Ulbricht. Ross Ulbricht, founder of Silk Road, he's serving life in prison. And one of our friends here at Lions of Liberty, Tyler Colford, also known as Crypto Man, has written a song about freeing Ross Ulbricht called Free Ross. You can find it on Spotify. You can find it on Amazon Music. All the proceeds go towards Free and Ross Ulbricht. If you've listened to my interviews with Lynn Ulbricht before in this podcast, you probably understand this, this case much more than anyone else out there. Ross Ulbricht deserves to be free. Please check out the song. You can hear just a little piece of it right now. Check it out. These are perilous times when they ruin your lives over victimless crimes And they sever your ties from your business loved ones and family wide New slave labor, they barely pay you Don't care about work ethic or major Hope you all enjoyed that interview on Finding Freedom, another awesome guest And hopefully you guys also have subscribed to the Lions of Liberty podcast And you're getting all three of our unique shows in your uh, little listening device delivered to your ears. Um, if you haven't, please do that. Just go to your app. You know how to do it and subscribe. You can also leave us a five-star review and a nice comment. We would prefer if you did it on Apple Podcasts, but anywhere you can on the internet, please leave us a positive comment. Also, the three shows that we have, um, 
Monday show with uh, Mark Clare, our flagship program, our longest running program. And uh, on Wednesday, Electric Liberty Land with Brian McWilliams. Um, those guys have been killing it, and I am so excited about the direction of Lions of Liberty. Um, we're seeing some awesome numbers right now, and we're going to continue to grow, so it's great stuff. If you want to support us, we would love that too. Please go to patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. You can uh, support us for as little as a couple bucks, or if you get in at a higher level, you get merchandise and access to us and all the way up to you can advertise on the show or get to even produce a show. So check it all out, patreon.com slash Lions of Liberty. And if you haven't checked it out yet, please consider checking out the Lions of Liberty store where we have some awesome t-shirts. We have a taxation is death t-shirt with an awesome design. We have a wax on tax off t-shirt and we're always coming up with new ideas and adding new t-shirt designs to the store. Check that out at lionsofliberty.store. And if you're in the pride, you get a discount on anything you buy in the store. So you do both of those things and you win. That's all I got, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of liberty burning.